0: In March 2016, WikiLeaks released a searchable archive of approximately 30,000 Clinton emails that had been obtained through FOIA litigation. While designing the archive, one WikiLeaks member explained the reason for building the archive to another associate. We want this repository to become the place to search for background on Hillary's plotting at the State Department during 2009 to 2013. Firstly, because it's useful and will annoy Hillary. But secondly, because we want to be seen to be a resource player in the U.S. election because it may encourage people to send us even more leaks. This is a message via Twitter DM. B, WikiLeaks first contact with Guccifer 2.0 and DCLeaks. Shortly after the GRU's first release of stolen documents through DCLeaks.com in June 2016, GRU officers also used the DCLeaks persona to contact WikiLeaks about possible coordination in the future release of stolen emails. On June 14th, 2016, DCLeaks sent a direct message to WikiLeaks noting, you announced your organization was preparing to publish more Hillary emails, more Hillary's emails. We are ready to support you. We have some sensitive information too, in particular, her financial documents. Let's do it together. What do you think about publishing our info at the same moment? Thank you. Uh, the last sentence is redacted for an investigative technique. Around the same time, WikiLeaks initiated communications with the GRU persona, Guccifer 2.0, shortly after it was used to release documents stolen from the DNC. On June 22nd, 2016, seven days after Guccifer 2.0 first releases of stolen DNC documents, WikiLeaks used Twitter's direct message function to contact the Guccifer 2.0 Twitter account and suggest that Guccifer 2.0 send any new materials stolen from the DNC here for us to review and it will have a much higher impact than what you were doing. On July 6, 2016, WikiLeaks again contacted Guccifer 2.0 through Twitter's private messaging function writing. If you have anything Hillary related, we want it in the next two days, preferable because the DNC is approaching and she will solidify Bernie supporters Behind her after the Guccifer 2.0 persona responded. OK, I see WikiLeaks also explained we think Trump has only a 25 percent chance of winning against Hillary. So So conflict between Bernie and Hillary is interesting. Both Oh, see the GRU's transfer of stolen materials to WikiLeaks. Both the GRU and WikiLeaks sought to hide their communications, which has limited the office's ability to collect all of the communications between them. Thus, although it is clear that the stolen DNC and Podesta documents were transferred from the GRU to WikiLeaks, redacted for investigative technique... The office was able to identify when the GRU, operating through its personas, Guccifer 2.0 and DC Leaks, transferred some of the stolen documents to WikiLeaks through online archives set up by the GRU. Assange had access to the internet from the Ecuadorian embassy in London, England. The last sentence is redacted for investigative technique. On July 14, 2016, GRU officers used a Guccifer 2.0 email account to send WikiLeaks an email Bearing the subject, Big Archive, and the message, A New Attempt. The email contained an encrypted attachment with the name wkdnclink1.txt.gpg. Using the Guccifer 2.0 Twitter account, GRU officers sent WikiLeaks an encrypted file and instructions on how to open it. On July 18, 2016, WikiLeaks confirmed in a direct message to the Guccifer 2.0 account that it had the one gigabyte or so archive and would make a release of the stolen documents this week. On July 22, 2016, WikiLeaks released over 20,000 emails and other documents stolen from the DNC computer networks. The the Democratic National Convention began three days later. Similar communications occurred between WikiLeaks and the GRU-operated persona DCLeaks. On September 15, 2016, DCLeaks wrote to WikiLeaks, hi there, I'm from DCLeaks. How could we discuss some submission-related issues? I'm trying to reach out to you via your secure chat but getting no response. I've got something that might interest you. You won't be disappointed, I promise. The WikiLeaks account responded, hi there, without further elaboration. The DCLeaks account did not respond immediately. The same day, the Twitter account, Guccifer2, sent DCLeaks a direct message, which is the first known contact between the personas. During subsequent communications, the Guccifer2.0 persona informed DCLeaks that WikiLeaks, was trying to contact DC Leaks and arrange for a way to speak through encrypted emails. An analysis of the metadata, metadata collected from the WikiLeaks site revealed that the stolen Podesta emails show a creation date of September 19th, 2016. Based on information about Assange's computer and its possible operating system, this date may be when the GRU staged the stolen Podesta emails for transfer to WikiLeaks, as the GRU had previously done in July 2016 for the DNC emails. Part of a relevant um, footnote is redacted, but it says at the time, certain Apple operating systems used a setting that left a downloaded file's creation date the same as the creation date shown on the host computer. This would explain why the creation date on WikiLeaks version of the files was still September 19, 2016. The WikiLeaks site also released PDFs and other documents taken from Podesta that were attached to emails in his account. These documents had a creation date of October 2nd, 2, 2016, which appears to be the date the attachments were separately staged by WikiLeaks on its site. Beginning on September 20th, 2016, WikiLeaks and DC resumed communications in a brief exchange. On September 22nd, 2016, a DCLeaks email account, dcleaksproject at gmail.com, sent an email to a WikiLeaks account with the subject submission and the message hi from DCLeaks. The email contained a PGP encrypted message with the file name wiki underscore mail dot txt Uh, redaction for Investigative Technique, the email, however, bears a number of similarities to the July 14, 2016 email in which GRU officers used the Guccifer 2.0 persona to give WikiLeaks access to the archive of DNC files. On separate, September 22, 2016, the same day of DCLeaks email to WikiLeaks, the Twitter account at DCLeaks sent a simple message to WikiLeaks with the string of characters last portion of this sentence is redacted for investigative technique. The office cannot rule out that, this, that stolen documents were transferred to WikiLeaks through intermediaries who visited during the summer of 2016. For example, public reporting identified Andrew Muller Magoon as a WikiLeaks associate who may have assisted with the transfer of these stolen documents to WikiLeaks. The last sentence is redacted for investigative technique, and so is the first sentence on page 48. On October 7, 2016, WikiLeaks released the first email stolen from the Podesta email account. In total, WikiLeaks released 33 tranches of stolen emails between October 7, 2016 and November 7, 2016. The releases included private speeches given by Clinton, internal communications between Podesta and other high-ranking members of the Clinton campaign and correspondence related to the Clinton Foundation. In total, WikiLeaks released over 50,000 documents stolen from Podesta's personal email account. The last-in-time email released from Podesta's account was dated March 21, 2016, two days after Podesta received a spear phishing email sent by the GRU. D, WikiLeaks statements dissembling about the source of stolen materials. As reports attributing the DNC and DCCC hacks to the Russian government emerged, WikiLeaks and Assange made several public statements apparently designed to obscure the source of the materials that WikiLeaks was releasing. The file transfer evidence described above and other information uncovered during the investigation discredit WikiLeaks' claims about the source of material that it posted. Beginning in the summer of 2016, Assange and WikiLeaks made a number of statements about Seth Rich, a former DNC staff member who was killed in July 2016. The statements about Rich implied falsely that he had been the source of the stolen DNC emails. Uh, on October 9, 2016, the WikiLeaks Twitter account posted announced WikiLeaks has decided to issue a US $20,000 reward for For information leading to conviction for the murder of DNC staffer Seth Rich. Likewise, on August 25th, 2016, Assange was asked in an interview, Why are you so interested in Seth Rich's killer? and responded, We're very interested in anything that might be a threat to alleged WikiLeaks sources. The interviewer responded to Assange's statement by commenting, I know you don't want to reveal your source. But it certainly sounds like you're suggesting a man who leaked information to WikiLeaks was then murdered. Assange replied, if there's someone who's potentially connected to our publication and that person has been murdered in suspicious circumstances, it doesn't necessarily mean that the two are connected. But it is a very serious matter. That type of allegation is very serious as it's taken very seriously by us. After the U.S. intelligence community publicly announced its assessment that Russia was behind the hacking operation, Assange continued to deny that the Clinton materials released by WikiLeaks had come from Russian hacking. According to media reports, Assange told a U.S. congressman that the DNC hack was an inside job and purported to have physical proof that Russians did not give materials to Assange. C. Additional GRU cyber operations. While releasing the stolen emails and documents through DC leaks, Guccifer 2.0 and WikiLeaks, GRU officers continued to target and hack victims linked to the Democratic campaign and eventually to target entities responsible for election administration in several states. One, summer and fall 2016 operations targeting Democrat linked victims. On July 27, 2016, Unit 26165 targeted email accounts connected to Candidate Clinton's personal office, redacted for personal privacy. Earlier that day, Candidate Trump made public statements that included the following Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. I think you will probably be rewarded mightily by our press. The 30,000 Emails were apparently a reference to emails described in media accounts as having been stored on a personal server that candidate Clinton had used while serving as Secretary of State. Within approximately five hours of Trump's statement, GRU officers targeted for the first time Clinton's personal office. After candidate Trump's remarks, Unit 26165 created and sent malicious links targeting 15 emails, email accounts at the domain uh, redacted for personal privacy, including an email account belonging to Clinton aid redacted for personal privacy. The investigation did not find evidence of earlier GRU attempts to compromise accounts posted on this domain. It is unclear how the GRU was able to I- identify these email accounts, which were not public. Unit 26165 officers also hacked into a DNC account hosted on a cloud computing service redacted for personal privacy. On September 20th, 2016, the GRU began to generate copies of the DNC data using redacted for personal privacy function designed to allow users to produce backups of databases referred to redacted for personal privacy as snapshots. The GRU then stole those snapshots by moving them to Redacted for Personal Privacy account that they controlled. From there, the copies were moved to GRU-controlled computers. The GRU stole approximately 300 gigabytes of data from the DNC cloud-based account. Two, intrusions targeting the administration of U.S. elections. In addition to targeting individuals involved in the Clinton campaign, GRU officers also targeted individuals and entities involved in the administration of the elections. Victims included U.S. state and local entities, such as state boards of elections, secretaries of state, and county governments, as well as individuals who worked for those entities. The GRU also targeted private technology firms responsible for manufacturing and administering election-related software and hardware, such as voter registration software and electronic polling stations. The GRU continued to target these victims through the elections in November 2016. While the investigation identified evidence that the GRU targeted these individuals and entities, the office did not investigate further. The office did not, for instance, obtain or examine servers or other relevant items belonging to these victims. The office understands that the FBI, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, and the states have separately investigated that activity. By at least the summer of 2016, GRU officers sought access to state and local computer networks by exploiting known software vulnerabilities on websites of state and local governmental entities. GRU officers, for example, targeted state and local databases of registered voters using a technique known as SQL injection by which malicious code was sent to the state or local website in order to run commands such as exfiltrating the database contents. In one instance, in approximately June 2016, the GRU compromised the computer network of the Illinois State Board of Elections by exploiting a vulnerability in the, in the SBOE's website. The GRU then gained access to a database containing information on millions of registered Illinois voters and extracted data related to thousands of U.S. voters before the malicious activity was identified. GRU officers redacted for investigative technique scan state and local websites for vulnerabilities. For example, for example, over a two day period in July, 2016 GRU officers redacted for investigative technique for vulnerabilities on websites of more than two dozen states redacted for investigative technique. Top of page 51 redacted for investigative technique, similar redacted for investigative technique for vulnerabilities continued throughout the election. Unit 74455 also sent spear phishing emails to public officials involved in election administration and personnel at companies involved involved in voting technology. In August 2016, GRU officers target employees of redacted for personal privacy, voting technology company that developed software used by numerous U.S. counties to manage voter rolls and installed malware on the company network. Similarly, in November 2016, the GRU sent spear phishing emails to over 120 email accounts used by Florida County officials responsible for administering the 2016 U.S. election. The spear phishing emails contained an attached word document coded with malicious software commonly referred to as a Trojan that permitted the GRU to access the infected computer. The FBI FBI was separately responsible for this investigation. We understand the FBI believes that this operation enabled the GRU to gain access to the network of at least one Florida County government. The office did not independently verify that belief. And as explained above, did not undertake the investigative steps that would have been necessary to do so. D, Trump campaign and the dissemination of hacked materials. The Trump campaign showed interest in WikiLeaks releases of hacked materials throughout the summer and fall of 2016. The rest of this page is redacted for harm to ongoing matter. The top of 52 under contacts. B, contacts with the campaign about WikiLeaks. Um, is redacted for harm to ongoing matter. It starts with on, ju- on June 12th, 2016. Assange claimed in a television interview to have emails relating to Hillary Clinton, which are pending publication, but provided no additional context. In debriefings with the office, former deputy campaign chairman Rick Gates said that this rest of this full paragraph is redact- redacted for harm to an ongoing matter. Uh, This last sentence is not. Gates recalled candidate Trump being generally frustrated that the Clinton emails had not been found. In fact, this footnote says uh, 195 to read because the paragraphs substantially redacted in February 2018, Gates pleaded guilty pursuant to a plea agreement to a superseding criminal information, charging him with conspiring to defraud and commit multiple offenses. Uh, including tax fraud, failure to report foreign bank accounts and acting as an unregistered agent of a foreign principal against the United States, as well as making false statements to our office. Uh, Next sentence, Paul Manafort, who would later become campaign chairman. The rest of this page is redacted uh, for harm to ongoing matter. Um, there is a footnote related to Manafort footnote 197 as explained further in volume one section four a eight Manafort entered into a plea agreement with our office we determined that he breached the agreement by being untruthful in proffer sessions and before the grand jury we have generally rec- recounted his version of events in this report only when his statements are sufficiently corroborated to be trustworthy to identify issues on which Manafort's untruthful responses may themselves be of evidentiary value or to provide Manafort's explanations for certain events, even when we were unable to determine whether that explanation was credible. His account appears here principally because it aligns with those of other witnesses. Michael Cohen, former executive vice president of the Trump Organization and special counsel to Donald J. Trump, told the office that he recalled an incident in which he was in candidate Trump's office in Trump Tower. Most of this paragraph is redacted for harm to ongoing matter. Cohen further told the office that after WikiLeaks' subsequent release of stolen DNC emails in July 2016, Trump said to Cohen something to the effect of harm to ongoing matter redaction. But there is a footnote um, related to this paragraph in November 2018 Cohen pleaded guilty pursuant to a plea agreement to a single count information charging him with making false statements to Congress in violation of 18 USC section 1001, subsection a and subsection C he had previously pleaded guilty to several other criminal charges brought by the US Attorney's Office. In the Southern District of New York, after a referral from this office in the months leading up to his false statements, guilty plea, Cohen met with our office on multiple occasions for interviews and provided information that the office is generally assessed to be reliable. And that is included in this report. Uh, Next full paragraph starts with uh, redaction for harm to ongoing matter. According to Gates, Manafort expressed excitement about the release Redaction for harm to ongoing matter. Manafort, for his part, told the office that shortly after WikiLeaks' July 22nd release, Manafort also spoke with candidate Trump. The rest of that sentence is redacted for harm to ongoing matter, as well as the next sentence. Manafort also redacted for harm to ongoing matter, wanted to be kept apprised of any developments with WikiLeaks and separately told Gates to keep in touch Redacted for harm to ongoing matter about future Wikileaks releases. according to Gates, by the late summer of 2016, the Trump campaign was planning a press strategy, a communications campaign, and messaging based on the possible release of Clinton emails by Wikileaks. Uh, next sentence, next two sentences are redacted for harm to ongoing matter while Trump and Gates were driving to LaGuardia Airport. Next sentence, first first part of sentence is redacted for harm to ongoing matter. Shortly after the call, candidate Trump told Gates that more releases of damaging information would be coming. Next full paragraph, redacted for harm to ongoing matter. C, redacted for harm to ongoing matter, as well as the first uh, sentence uh, under C, harm to ongoing matter redaction. Corsi is an author who holds a doctorate in political science. In 2016, Corsi also worked for the media outlet World Net Daily, WND. The rest of this paragraph is redacted for harm to ongoing matter. We'll read the uh, accompanying footnotes. Corsi first rose to public prominence in August 2004 when he published his book, Unfit for Command, Swift Vote Veterans Speak Out Against John Kerry. In the 2008 election cycle, Corsi gained prominence for being a leading proponent of the allegation that Barack Obama was not born in the United States. Corsi told the office that Donald Trump expressed interest in his writings and that he spoke with Trump on the phone on at least six occasions. Corsi was first interviewed on September 6, 2018 at the special counsel's office in Washington, D.C. First part of this footnote is redacted for grand jury. He was accompanied by counsel throughout the interview. Corsi was subsequently interviewed On September 17, 2018, September 21st, 2018, October 31st, 2018, November 1st, 2018 and November 2nd, 2018, counsel was present for all interviews and the interviews beginning on September 21st, 2018 were conducted pursuant to a proffer agreement that precluded affirmative use of his statements against him in limited circumstances. Uh, The first. Part of page 55 is redacted for harm to ongoing matter. Uh, Corsi told the office during interviews that he must have previously discussed the signs with Malik. Uh, See these footnotes. There's not much in these footnotes. Harm to ongoing matter for the remaining portions of the paragraphs. Uh, Then the next paragraph is redacted for grand jury. According to Malik, Corsi asked him to put Corsi in touch with Assange, whom Corsi wished to interview. Malik recalled that Corsi also suggested that individuals in the orbit of UK politician Nigel Farage might be able to contact Assange and asked if Malik knew him. Malik told Corsi that he would think about the request but made no actual attempt to connect Corsi with Assange. Uh, And the accompanying footnote here first portion and last portions redacted for the grand jury. Malik denied ever communicating with Assange or WikiLeaks, stating that he did not pursue the request to contact Assange because he believed he had no connections to Assange. The next full paragraph is redacted for harm to ongoing matter. Page 56, Malik stated to investigators that beginning in or about August 2016 he and Corsi had multiple FaceTime discussions about WikiLeaks this next part redacted for harm to ongoing matter had made a connection to Assange and that the hacked emails of John Podesta would be released prior to election day and would be helpful to the Trump campaign in other in one conversation in or around August or September 2016 Corsi told Malik that the release of the Podesta emails was coming after which we were going to be in the driver's seat. The rest of this page is redacted for harm to ongoing matter and one notation for the grand jury in the footnotes. Next full page, redacted redacted for harm to ongoing matter. D, WikiLeaks, October 7th, 2016, release of stolen Podesta emails. On October 7th, 2016, four days after the Assange press conference action for harm for of ongoing matter to ongoing matter the washington post published an access hollywood video that captured comments by candidate trump some years earlier and that was expected to adversely affect the campaign less than an hour after the video's publication WikiLeaks released the first set of emails stolen by the gru from the account of clinton campaign chairman john podesta the next full paragraph is redacted for harm to ongoing matter. The next, most of the next uh, paragraph is redacted for harm to ongoing matter. The last two sentences are not. Corsi said that because he had no direct means of communicating with WikiLeaks, he told members of the news site, WND, where, who were participating on a conference call with him that day, to reach Assange immediately. Uh, In a later, this footnote says, in a later November 2018 interview, Corsi stated, Redaction for Harm to Ongoing Matter, that he believed Malik was on the call but then focused on other individuals who were on the call invitation, which Malik was not. Separate travel records show that at the time of the call, Malik was aboard a transatlantic flight. Corsi at one point stated that after WikiLeaks' release of stolen emails on October 7, 2016, he concluded Malik had gotten in contact with Assange. Last sentence on page 58 starts, Corsi claimed that the pressure was enormous and recalled telling the conference call the Access Hollywood tape was coming. Corsi stated that he was convinced that his efforts had caused WikiLeaks to release the emails when they did. In a later November 2018 interview, Corsi stated that he thought that he had told people on a WND conference call about the forthcoming tape and sent out and had sent out a tweet asking whether anyone could contact Assange, but then said that maybe he had done nothing. Let's see. The office investigated Corsi's allegations about the events of October 7, 2016, but found little corroboration for his allegations about the day. The rest, the next two sentences are redacted for harm to ongoing matter. However, the phone records themselves do not indicate that the conversation was with any of the reporters who broke the Access Hollywood story, and the office has not otherwise been able to identify the substance of the conversation. The next sentence is redacted for harm to ongoing matter. However, the office has not identified any conference call participant or anyone who spoke to Corsi that day who says that they received non-public information about the tape from Corsi or acknowledged having contacted a member of WikiLeaks on October 7, 2016, after a conversation with Corsi. E, Donald Trump Jr. interaction with WikiLeaks. Donald Trump Jr. had direct electronic communications with WikiLeaks during the campaign period. On September 20th, 2016, an individual named Jason Fishbean sent... WikiLeaks, the password for an unlaunched website focused on Trump's unprecedented and dangerous ties to Russia. PutinTrump.org. WikiLeaks publicly tweeted, let's bomb Iraq, progress for America PAC, to launch PutinTrump.org at 9.30 a.m. Oops, PW is PutinTrump, PutinTrump.org. Several hours later... Wikileaks sent a Twitter direct message to Donald Trump Jr. a pack run a pack run anti-trump site putintrump.org is about to lo- is about to launch. The pack is a recycled pro-Iraq war pack. We have guessed the password it is Putin Trump. See about for who's behind it. Any comments? Several hours later, Trump Jr emailed a variety of senior campaign staff several hours later trump jr emailed a variety of senior campaign staff guys i got a weird twitter dm from wikileaks see below i tried the password and it works and the about section they reference contains the next pick in terms of who is behind it not sure if this is anything but it seems like it's really wikileaks asking me as i follow them and it is a dm Do you know the people mentioned and what the conspiracy are and what the conspiracy they are looking for could be? These are just screenshots, but it's a fully built out page claiming to be a pack. Let me know your thoughts and if we want to look into it. Trump Jr. attached a screenshot of the about page for the unlaunched site PutinTrump.org. The next day after the website had launched publicly, Trump Jr. sent a direct message to WikiLeaks. Off the record, I don't know who that is, but I'll ask around. Thanks. On October 3rd, 2016, WikiLeaks sent another direct message to Trump Jr. asking you guys to help disseminate a link alleging candidate Clinton had advocated using a drone to target Julian Assange. Trump Jr. responded that he had already done so and asked what's behind this Wednesday leak I keep reading about. WikiLeaks did not respond. On October 12th, 2016, WikiLeaks wrote wrote again that it was great to see you and your dad talking about our, our publications. Strongly suggest your dad tweets this link if he mentions us. WLsearch.tk. WikiLeaks wrote that the link would help Trump in digging through leaked emails and stated we just released Podesta Emails Part 4. Two days later, Trump Jr. publicly tweeted the WLS the WLSearch.tk link. Two other potential campaign interest in Russian hacked materials. Throughout 2016, the Trump campaign expressed interest in Hillary Clinton's private email server and whether approximately 30,000 emails from from, from that server had in fact been permanently destroyed as reported by the media. Several individuals associated with the campaign were contacted in 2016 about various efforts to obtain the missing Clinton emails and other stolen material in support of the Trump campaign. Some of these contacts were met. With skepticism and nothing came of them, others were pursued to some degree. The investigation did not find evidence that the Trump campaign recovered any such Clinton emails or that these contacts were part of a coordinated effort between Russia and the Trump campaign. A. Henry Okunansky, a.k.a. Henry Greenberg. In the spring of 2016, Trump campaign advisor Michael Caputo learned through a Florida-based Russian business partner that Florida, that another Florida-based Russian, Henry Okenyanski, who also went by the name Henry Greenberg, claimed to have information pertaining to Hillary Clinton. Caputo notified Roger Stone and brokered communications between Stone and Okenyanski. Oknyansky and Stone set up a May 2016 in-person meeting. Okunyansky was accompanied to the meeting by Alexei Rosin, a Ukrainian associate involved in Florida real estate. At the meeting, Razin offered to sell Stone derogatory information on Clinton that Razin claimed to have obtained while working for Clinton. Razin claimed to possess financial statements demonstrating Clinton's involvement in money laundering with Rosin's company. According to Okunjansky, Stone asked if the amount in question totaled millions of dollars, but was told it was closer to hundreds of thousands. Stone refused the offer, stating that Trump would not pay for opposition research. Okanyansky claimed to the office that that Rosin's motivation was financial. According to Okunjansky, Rosin had tried unsuccessfully to shop the Clinton information around to other interested parties and Okanyansky would receive a cut if their information was sold. Rosin is noted in public source documents as the director and or registered agent for a number of Florida companies, none of which appears to be connected to Clinton. The office found no other evidence that Rosin worked for Clinton or any other or any other Leading Clinton related entities. In their statements to investigators, Okenyanski and Caputo had contradictory recollections about the meeting. Okenyanski claimed that Caputo accompanied Stone to the meeting and provided an introduction, whereas Caputo did not tell us that he had attended and claimed that he was never told what information Okenyanski offered. Caputo also stated that he was unaware Okenyanski sought to be paid for the information until Stone informed him after that fact. After the fact, the office did not locate Rawson in the United States, although the office confirmed Rosin has been issued had been issued a Florida driver's license. The office otherwise was unable to determine the content and origin of the information he purportedly offered to Stone. Finally, the investigation did not identify evidence of a connection between the outright outreach or the meeting and Russian interference efforts. Yash, 15 minutes. B, campaign efforts to obtain deleted Clinton emails. After candidate Trump stated on July 27, 2016, that he hoped Russia would find 30,000 emails that are missing. Trump asked individuals affiliated with his campaign to find the deleted Clinton emails. Michael Flynn, who would later serve as national security advisor in the Trump administration, recalled I just lose my place. called that Trump made this request repeatedly, and Flynn subsequently contacted multiple people in an effort to, up, up, to obtain the emails. Barbara Ledeen and Peter Smith were among the people contacted by Flynn. Ledeen, a longtime Senate staffer who had previously sought the Clinton emails, provided updates to Flynn about her efforts throughout the summer of 2016. Smith an investment advisor who was active in Republican politics also attempted to locate and obtain the deleted Clinton emails. Ladine began her efforts to obtain the Clinton emails before Flynn's request as early as December 2015. On December 3rd, 2015, she emailed Smith a proposal to obtain the emails stating, Here is the proposal I briefly mentioned to you. The person I described to you would be happy to talk with you further, to talk with you either in person or over the phone. The person can get the emails which, one, were classified, and two, were purloined by our enemies. That would demonstrate what needs to be demonstrated. Attached to the email was a 25-page proposal stating that the Clinton email server was, in all likelihood, Reached long ago, and that the Chinese, Russian, and and Iranian intelligence services could reassemble the server's email content. The proposal called for a three-phase approach. The first two phases consisted of open source analysis. The third phase consisted of checking with certain intelligence sources that have accessed through liaison work with various foreign services to determine if any of those services had gotten to the server. The proposal noted, even if a single email was recovered and the providence of that email was a foreign service, it would be catastrophic to the Clinton campaign. Smith forwarded the email to two colleagues and wrote, we can discuss to whom it should be referred. On December 16th, 2015, Smith informed Ladine that he declined to participate in her initiative, according to one of Smith's business associates. Smith believed Ledeen's initiative was not viable at the time. Just weeks after Trump's July 2016 request to find the Clinton emails, however, Smith tried to locate and obtain the emails himself. He created a company, raised tens of thousands of dollars, and recruited security experts and business associates. Smith made claims to others involved in the effort. And those from whom he sought funding, that he was in contact with hackers with ties and affiliations to Russia who had access to the emails, and that his efforts were coordinated with the Trump campaign. On August 28, 2016, Smith sent an email from an encrypted account with the subject Secretary Clinton's unsecured private email server to an undeclosed list of recipients, including campaign co chairman Sam. Clovis. The email stated that Smith was just finishing two days of sensitive meetings here in D.C., with involved groups to poke and probe on the above. It is clear that the Clinton's home base unprotected server was hacked with ease by both state-related players and private mercenaries. Parties with, with varying interests are circling to release ahead of the election. On September 2nd, 2016, Smith detected Smith directed a business associate to establish KLS Research LLC in furtherance of his search for the deleted Clinton emails. One of the purposes of KLS Research was to manage the funds Smith raised in support of his initiative. KLS Research received over $30,000 during the presidential campaign, although Smith represented that he raised even more money. Smith recruited multiple people for his initiative, including security experts to search for and authenticate the emails. In early September 2016, as part of his recruitment and fundraising efforts, Smith circulated a document stating that his initiative was in coordination with the Trump campaign, to the extent permitted as an independent expenditure organization. The document listed multiple individuals affiliated with the Trump campaign, including Flynn, Clovis, Bannon, and Kellyanne Conway. The investigation established that Smith communicated with Elise Flynn and Clovis about his search for the deleted Clinton emails But the office did not identify evidence that any of the listed individuals initiated or directed Smith's efforts. Ten minutes, Yann. In September 2016, Smith and Ledeen got back in touch with each other about their respective efforts. Ledeen wrote to Smith, wondering if you had some more detailed reports or memos or other data you could share because we have come a long way in our efforts since we last visited. We would need as much technical discussion as possible so we could marry it against the new data we have found and then could share it back to you, your eyes only. Ledeen claimed to have obtained a trove of emails from what she described as the dark web that purported to be the deleted Clinton emails. Ladine wanted to authenticate the emails and solicited contributions to fund the effort. Eric Prince provided funding to hire a tech advisor to ascertain the authenticity of the emails. According to Prince, the tech advisor determined that the emails were not authentic. A backup of Smith's backup of Smith's computer contained two files that had been downloaded from WikiLeaks and that were originally attached to emails received by John Podesta. The files on Smith's computer had creation dates of October 2nd, 2016, which was prior to the date of their release by WikiLeaks. Forensic examination, however, established that the creation date did not reflect when the files were downloaded to Smith's computer. It it appears the creation date was when WikiLeaks staged the document for release, as discussed in volume one, section three, B3C, the investigation did not otherwise identify evidence that Smith obtained the files before they released by WikiLeaks. Smith continued to send emails to an undisclosed recipient list about Clinton's deleted emails until shortly before the election. For example, on October 20th, 2016, Smith wrote that there was a tug of war going on within WikiLeaks over its planned releases in the next few days and that WikiLeaks has maintained that it it will save its best revelations for last. Under Under the theory, this allows little time for response prior to the U.S. election, November 8th. An attachment to the email claimed that WikiLeaks would release all 33,000 deleted emails by November 1st. No emails obtained from Clinton's server were subsequently released. Smith drafted multiple emails stating or intimating that he was in contact with Russian hackers. For example, in one such email, Smith claimed that in August 2016, KLS research had organized meetings with parties who had access to the deleted Clinton emails, including parties with ties and affiliations to Russia. The investigation did not identify evidence that any such meetings occurred. Associates and security experts who worked with Smith on the initiative did not believe that Smith was in contact with Russian hackers and were aware of no such connection. The investigation did not establish that Smith was in contact with Russian hackers or that Smith, Ledeen, or other individuals in touch with the Trump campaign ultimately obtained the deleted Clinton emails. In sum, the investigation established that the GRU hacked in the email accounts of persons affiliated with the Clinton campaign, as well as the computers of the DNC and the DCCC, the GRU then exfiltrated data related to the 2016 election from these accounts and computers and disseminated that data through fictitious online personas, DC Leaks and Guccifer 2.0, and later, later through WikiLeaks. The investigation also established that the Trump campaign displayed interest in the WikiLeaks releases and that redaction for harm to ongoing matter For the rest of the sentence, as explained in Volume 1, Section 5B, the evidence was sufficient to support computer intrusion and other other charges against GRU officers for their role in election-related hacking. The last sentence is redacted on this page. The office identified multiple contacts, links in the words of the appointment order between Trump campaign officials and individuals with ties to the Russian government. The office investigated whether these contacts, whether those contacts constituted a third avenue of attempted Russian interference with or influence on the 2016 presidential election. In particular, the investigation examined whether these contacts involved or resulted in coordination or conspiracy with the Trump campaign and Russia, including with respect to Russia providing assistance to the campaign in exchange for any sort of favorable treatment in the future. Based on the available information, the investigation did not establish such coordination. This section describes the principal links between the Trump campaign and individuals with ties to the Russian government, including some contacts with campaign officials or associates that have been publicly reported to involve Russian contacts. Each subsection begins with an overview of the Russian contact at at issue and then describes in detail the relevant facts, which are generally presented in chronological order, beginning with the early months of the campaign and extending through the post-election transition period. A campaign period, September 2015 to November 8th, 2016. Russian government-connected individuals and media entities began showing interest in Trump's campaign in the months after he announced his candidacy in June 2015. Because Trump's status as a public figure at the time was attributable in large part to his prior business and entertainment dealings, this office investigated whether a business contact with Russia-linked individuals and entities during the campaign period the Trump Tower Moscow Project, see Volume 1, Section 4A1, led to or involved coordination of election assistance. Outreach from individuals with ties to Russia continued in the spring and summer of 2016 when Trump was moving toward and eventually becoming the Republican nominee for president. As set forth below, the Office also evaluated a series of links during this period, outreach to two of Trump's then recently named foreign policy advisors, including a representation that Russia had dirt on Clinton in in the form of thousands of emails, dealings with a D.C.-based think tank that specializes in Russia and has connections with its government, a meeting at Trump Tower Between the campaign and a Russian lawyer promising dirt on candidate Clinton that was part of Russia and its government support for Trump, events at the Republican National Convention, post-convention contacts between Trump campaign officials and Russia's ambassador to the United States, and contacts through campaign chairman Paul Manafort, who had previously worked for a Russian oligarch and a pro-Russian political party in Ukraine. Trump Tower Moscow Project. The Trump Organization has pursued and completed projects outside the United States as part of its real estate portfolio. Some projects have involved the acquisition and ownership through subsidiary corporate structures of property. In other cases, the Trump Organization has executed licensing deals with real estate developers and management companies, often local to the country where the project was located. Between at least 2013 and 2016, The Trump Organization explored a similar licensing deal in Russia involving the construction of a Trump branded property in Moscow. The project commonly referred to as a Trump Tower Moscow or Trump Moscow project anticipated a combination of commercial hotel and residential properties all within the same building. Between 2013 and June 2016, several employees of the Trump Organization, including then president of the organization, Donald J. Trump, pursued a Moscow deal with several Russian counterparties. From the fall of 2015 until the middle of 2016, Michael Cohen spearheaded the Trump Organization's pursuit of a Trump Tower Moscow project, Included, including by reporting on the project's status to candidate Trump and other executives in the Trump organization, a Trump Tower Moscow venture with the Crocus Group 2013-2014. the Trump Organization and the Crocus Group, a Russian real estate conglomerate owned and controlled by Aris Agla- Ag- Agalarov, Aris Agalarov began discussing a Russia-based real estate project shortly after the conclusion of the 2013 Miss Universe pageant in Moscow. Donald J. Trump Jr. served as the primary negotiator on behalf of the Trump organization. Iman Agalarov, son of Aris Agalarov, and Irakli Ike Kav- Kaviladez, K- Kavilades I don't know, presented the caucus group during negotiations with the occasional assistance of Robert Goldstone. In December 2013, Kavilades Kavilades, Kavilades and Trump Jr. negotiated and signed preliminary terms of an agreement for the Trump Tower Moscow project. On December 23rd, 2013, after discussions with Donald J. Trump, the Trump organization agreed to accept an arrangement whereby the organization received a flat 3.5 percent commission on all sales with no licensing fees or incentives. The parties negotiated a letter of intent during January and February 2014, from January 2014 through November 2014, the Trump Organization and Crocus Group discussed development plans for the Moscow project. Sometime before January 2014, 2014- 24th, 2014, the Crocus Group sent the Trump Organization a proposal for an 800-unit, 194-meter building to be constructed at an Agalarov-owned site in Moscow called Crocus City, which had also been the site of the Miss Universe pageant. In February 2014, Ivanka Trump met with Imen Agalarov and toured the Crocus City site during a visit to Moscow. From March 2014 through July 2014, the groups discussed design standards and other architectural elements. For example, in July 2014, members of the Trump Organization sent Crocus Group counterparts questions about the demographics of these prospective buyers in the Crocus City area, the development of neighboring parcels in Crocus City, and concepts for redesigning portions of the building. In August 2014, the Trump Organization requested specifications for a competing Marriott-branded tower being built in Crocus City. Beginning in September 2014, the Trump Organization stopped responding in a timely fashion to correspondence and proposals from the Crocus Group. Communications between the two groups continued through November 2014 with decreasing frequency. What appears to be the last communication is dated November 24th, 2014. The project appears not to have developed past the planning stage and no construction occurred. B, communication with ICE, communications with IC Expert Investment Company and Georgie Ritz-Coladez. Summer and fall 2015. In the late summer of 2015, the Trump Organization received a new inquiry about pursuing a Trump Tower project in Moscow. In approximately September 2015, Felix Sater, a New York-based real estate advisor, contacted Michael Cohen, then executive vice president of the Trump Organization and special counsel to Donald J. Trump. Sater had previously worked with the Trump organization and advised it on a number of domestic and international projects. Sater had explored the possibility of a Trump Tower project in Moscow while working with the Trump organization and therefore knew of the organization's general interest in completing a deal there. Sater had also served as an informal agent of the Trump organization in Moscow previously and had accompanied Ivanka Trump and Donald Trump Jr. to Moscow in the mid two thousands. Sater con- contacted Cohen on behalf of IC expert investment company, a Russian real estate development corporation controlled by Andre Vladimirovich Vladimirovich Rozov. Sater had known Rozov since approximately 2007 and in, 20, and in 2014, had served as an agent on behalf of Rozov during Rozov's purchase of a building in New York City. Sater later contacted Rozov and proposed that IC Expert pursued pursue a Trump Tower Moscow project in which IC Expert would license the name and brand from the Trump organization, but construct the building on its own. Sater worked on the deal. What's wrong? Sater worked on the deal with Rozov and another employee of IC expert. Cohen was the only Trump organization representative to negotiate directly with IC expert on its agent. In In approximately September 2015, Cohen obtained approval to negotiate with IC expert from candidate Trump. Trump, who was then president of the Trump organization, Cohen provided updates directly to Trump about the project throughout 2015 and into 2016, assuring him the project was continuing. Cohen also discussed the Trump Moscow project with Ivanka Trump as to design elements such as possible architects to use for the project and Donald J. Trump Jr. about his experience in Moscow and possible involvement in the project during the fall of 2015. Also, during the fall of 2015, Cohen communicated about the Trump Moscow proposal with Georgie Rizkalides, a business executive who previously had been involved in a development deal with the Trump organization in Batumi, Georgia. Cohen stated that he spoke to Rizkalides in part because Rizkalides had pursued business ventures in Moscow, including a licensing deal with the Agalarov-owned Crocus Group. On September 22nd, 2015, Cohen forwarded a, forwarded a preliminary design study for the Trump-Moscow project to Ritz-Carlides, adding, I look forward to your reply about this spectacular project in Moscow. ritz forwarded Cohen's email to an associate and wrote, if we could organize the meeting in New York at the highest level of the Russian government and Mr. Trump, this project would definitely receive the worldwide attention. On September 24th, 2015, Rizkaldi sent Cohen an attachment that he described as a proposed letter to the mayor of Moscow from Trump or explaining that we need to send this letter to the mayor of Moscow, second guy in Russia. He is aware of the potential project and will pledge his support. In a second email to Cohen sent the same day, Rizkaldi's provided a translation of the letter which described the Trump Trump Moscow project as a symbol of stronger economic business and cultural relationships between New York and Moscow and therefore United States and the Russian Federation on September 27 2015 Ricarides sent another email to Cohen proposing that the Trump organization partner on the Trump Moscow project with Global Development Group, LLC, which he described as being controlled by Mikhail Pos- Posikin, a Russian architect and Simon Nazarides. I'm killing these names. Cohen told the office that he ultimately declined the proposal and instead continued to work with IC expert, the company represented by Felix Sater. Letter of Intent and Contacts to Russian Government, October 2015, January 2016. Trump signed the Letter of Intent on behalf of the Trump Organization. Between approximately October 13, 2015 and November 2, 2015, the Trump Organization, through its subsidiary, Trump Acquisition LLC, an IC expert, completed a Letter of Intent for a Trump Moscow property. The LOI signed by Trump for the Trump Organization and Rozov on behalf of IC Expert was intended to facilitate further discussions in order to attempt to enter into a mutually acceptable agreement related to the Trump branded project in Moscow. The LOI contemplated a development with residential hotel, commercial, and office components and called for approximately 250 first-class luxury residential condominiums, as well as one first-class luxury hotel consisting of approximately 15 floors and containing not fewer than 150 hotel rooms. For the residential and commercial portions of the project, the Trump Organization will receive between 1% and 5% of all condominium sales, plus 3% Three percent of all rental and other revenue for the project's hotel portion. The Trump Organization will receive a base fee of three percent of gross operating revenues for the first five years, and four percent thereafter, plus a separate incentive fee of twenty percent of operating profit. Under the LOI, the Trump Organization also would receive a four million dollar upfront free, upfront fee prior to groundbreaking. Under these terms, the Trump organization stood to earn substantial sums over the lifetime of the project without assuming significant liability or financing commitments. On November 3, 2015, the day after the Trump organization transmitted the LOI, Sater emailed Cohen suggesting that the Trump Moscow project could be used to increase candidate Trump's chances at being elected, writing, buddy, our boy can become president of the USA and we can engineer it. I will get all of the Putin's team, all of Putin's team to buy in on this. I will manage this process. Michael Putin gets on stage with Donald for a ribbon cutting for Trump, Moscow, and Donald owns the Republican nomination and possibly beats Hillary and our boys in. We will manage this process better than anyone. You and I will get Donald and Vladimir on a stage together very shortly. That's the game changer. Later that day, Sater followed up. Donald doesn't stare down. He negotiates and understands the economic issues. And Putin only wants to deal with the pragmatic leader. And a successful businessman is a good candidate for someone who knows how to negotiate. Business, politics, whatever it all is the same for someone who knows how to deal. I think I can get Putin to say that at the Trump, to say that at the Trump Moscow press conference, if he says it, we own this election. America's most difficult adversary agreeing that Donald is a good guy to negotiate. We can own this election. Michael, my next steps are very sensitive with Putin's very, very close people. We can pull this off. Michael, let's go. Two boys from Brooklyn getting a USA president elected. This is good. Really good. According to Cohen, he did not consider the political import of the Trump-Moscow project to the 2016 U.S. presidential election at the time. Cohen also did not recall candidate Trump or anyone affiliated with the Trump campaign discussing the political implications of the Trump-Moscow project with him. However, Cohen recalled a conversation with Trump in which the candidate suggested that his campaign would be a significant infomercial for Trump-branded properties. Two, post-LOI LOI contacts with individuals in Russia. Given the size of the Trump Moscow project, Sater and Cohen believed the project required approval, whether express or implicit, from the Russian national government, including from the presidential administration of Russia. Sater stated that he therefore began to contact the presidential administration to another Russian business contact. In early negotiations with the Trump Organization, Sater had alluded to the need for government approval and his attempts to set up meetings with Russian officials. On October 12th, 2015, for example, Sater wrote to Cohen that all we need is Putin on board and we are golden and that a meeting with Putin and top deputy is tentatively set for the 14th of October. This is redacted for the grand jury. This meeting was being coordinated by associates in Russia, and that he had no direct interaction with the Russian government. Approximately a month later, after the LOI had been signed, Lana Erkova emailed Ivanka Trump on behalf of Erkova's then husband, Dmitry Klokov, to offer Klokov's assistance to the Trump campaign. The footnote here says Ivanka Trump received an email from a woman who identified herself as Lana E. Alexander, which said in part, if you ask anyone who knows Russian to Google my husband, Dmitry Klokov, you'll see who he is close to and that he has done Putin's political campaigns. It's in the email on 11-16-2015, Klochov was at the time... Director of External Communications for PJSC Federal Grid Company of Unified Energy System, a large Russian electricity transmission company, and had been previously employed as an aide and press secretary to Russia's energy minister. Ivanka Trump forwarded the email to Cohen. He told the office that after receiving this inquiry, he had conducted an Internet search for Klochov's name and concluded incorrectly that that Klokov was a former Olympic weightlifter. Between November 18th and 19th, 2015, Klokov and Cohen had at least one telephone call and exchanged several emails. Describing himself in emails to Cohen as a trusted person who could offer the campaign political synergy and synergy on a government level, Klokov recommended that Cohen travel to Russia. With him and an, identi- and, a, and an unidentified intermediary. Klokov said that those conversations could facilitate a later meeting in Russia between the candidate and an ind- individual Klokov described as our person of interest. In an email to the office, Erkova later identified the person of interest as Russian President Vladimir Putin. This is the email. Footnote um, so 338, in July 2018, the office received an unsolicited email purporting to be from Erkova, in which she wrote that at the end of 2015 and beginning of 2016, I was asked by my ex-husband to contact Ivanka Trump and offer cooperation to Trump's team on behalf of the Russian officials. Erkova, to special counsel's office, the email claimed that the op- officials wanted to offer candidate Trump land in Crimea Crimea, among other things in unofficial meetings with Putin. In unofficial meeting with Putin, in order to vet the emails, claims, the office responded requesting more details. The office did not receive any reply. Okay. Klokov had also previously Wait. No. In the telephone call and follow on emails with Klokov, Cohen discussed his desire to use a near term trip to Russia to do site surveys and talk over the Trump Moscow project with local developers. Cohen registered his willingness also to meet with Klokov and the unidentified intermediary, but was emphatic that all meetings in Russia involved him or candidate Trump, including a possible meeting between candidate Trump and Putin would need to be in conjunction with the development and an, with the development and an official visit with the Trump organization receiving a formal invitation to visit. Klokov had written previously that the visit by candidate Trump to Russia has to be informal. Klokov had also previously recommended to Cohen that he separate their negotiations over a possible meeting between Trump and the person of interest from any existing business track. Re-emphasizing that his outreach was not done on behalf of any business, Klokov had it in second added in second email to Cohen that if publicized well, such a meeting could have phenomenal impact in a business dimension, and that the person of interest, most important support could have significant ramifications for the level of projects and their capacity. Klokov concluded by telling Cohen that there was no bigger warranty in any project than the consent of the person of interest. Cohen rejected the proposal, saying that currently our LOI developer is in talks with VP's chief of staff, And arranging a formal invite for the two to meet. This email appears to be their final exchange, and the investigation did not identify evidence that Cohen brought Klokov's initial offer of assistance to the campaign's attention or that anyone associated with the Trump organization or the campaign dealt with Klokov at a later date. Cohen explained that he did not pursue the proposed meeting because he was already working on the Moscow project with Seder, who Cohen understood to have his own connections to the Russian government. By late December 2015, however, Cohen was complaining that Seder had not been able to use those connections to set up the promised meeting with Russian government officials. Cohen told Seder that he was setting up the meeting myself. On January 11, 2016, Cohen emailed the office of Dmitry Peskov, the Russian government's press secretary, indicating that he desired contact with Sergei Inou- if Ivanov, Putin's chief of staff. Cohen erroneously used the email address PR underscore Peskova at PR dot RU instead of PR underscore Peskova at PR dot dot So the email apparently did not go through. On January 14, 2016, Cohen emailed a different address, info at prpress.gov.ru, with the following message. Dear Mr. Peskov, over the past few months, I have been working with a company based in Russia regarding the development of a Trump Tower Moscow project in Moscow City. Without getting into lengthy specifics, The communication between our two sides has stalled. As this project is too important, I am hereby requesting your assistance. I respectfully request someone, preferably you, contact me so that I might discuss the specifics as well as arranging meetings with the appropriate individuals. I thank you in advance for your assistance and look forward to hearing from you soon. Two days later, Cohen sent an email to pr-peskova at ru, repeating his request to speak with Sergei Ivanov. Cohen testified to Congress and initially told the office that he did not recall receiving a response to this email inquiry and that he decided to terminate any further work on the Trump Moscow project as of January 2016. Cohen later admitted that these statements were false. In fact... Cohen had received and recalled receiving a response to his inquiry, and he continued to work on and update candidate Trump on the project through as late, late as June 2016. On January 20, 2016, Cohen received an email from Alina Poliakova, Peskov's personal assistant, writing from her personal email account. Poliakova stated that she had been trying to reach Cohen and asked that he call her on the personal number that she provided. Shortly after receiving Poliakova's email, Cohen called and spoke to her for 20 minutes. Cohen described to Poliakova his position at the Trump organization and outlined the proposed Trump Moscow project, including information about the Russian counterparty with which the Trump organization had partnered. Cohen requested assistance in moving the project forward both in securing land to build the project and with financing. According to Cohen, Poliakova asked detailed questions and took notes, stating that she would need to follow up with others in Russia. Cohen could not recall any direct follow-up from Poliakova or from any other representative of the Russian government, nor did the office identify any evidence of direct follow-up. However, the day after Cohen's call with Poliakova, Sater texted Cohen asking him to call me when you have a few minutes to chat. It's about Putin. They called today. Sater then sent a draft invitation for Cohen to visit Moscow to discuss the Trump Moscow project, along with a note to tell me if the letter is good as amended by me or make whatever changes you want and send it back to me. After a further round of edits on January 25th, 2016, Sater sent Cohen an invitation signed by Andre. Raya of the company MHJ to travel to Moscow for a working visit about the prospects of development and construction business in Russia, the various land plots available suited for construction of this enormous tower, and the opportunity to coordinate a follow up visit to Moscow by Donald by Mr. Donald Trump. According to Cohen, he elected not to travel at the time. Because of concerns about the lack of concrete proposals about land plots that could be considered as options for the project, D. Discussions about Russia travel by Michael Michael Cohen or candidate Trump, December 2015 through June 2016. One Sater's overture, overtures to Cohen to travel to Russia. The late January communication with me was neither the first nor the last time that Cohen contemplated visiting Russia in pursuit of the Trump. Moscow project beginning in late 2015 Sater repeated, repeatedly tried to arrange for Cohen candidate Trump as representatives of the Trump organization to travel to Russia to meet with Russian government officials and possible financing partners in December 2015 Sater sent Cohen a number of emails about logistics for traveling to Russia for meetings on December 19 2015 Sater wrote Please call me. I have Evgeny Devoskin on the other line. He needs a copy of your and Donald's passports. They need a scan of every page of the passport. Invitations and visas will be issued this week by VTB Bank to discuss financing for Trump Tower Moscow. Politically, neither Putin's office nor Ministry of Foreign Affairs cannot issue invite. So they are inviting commercial commercial business. Commercially or business, VTB is Russia's second biggest bank and VTB Bank CEO, Andre Kostin will be at all meetings with Putin so that it is a business meeting, not political. We will be invited to Russia consulate to, to Russian consulate this week to receive invite and have visa issued. In response, Cohen texted Sater an image of his own passport. Cohen told the office that at one point he requested a copy of candidate Trump's passport from Rona Graf, Trump's executive assistant of the Trump Organization, and that Graf later brought Trump's passport to Cohen's office. The investigation did not, however, establish that the passport was forwarded to Sater. Into the spring of 2016, Sater and Cohen continued to discuss a trip to Moscow in connection with the Trump Moscow project. On April 20th, 2016, Sater wrote Cohen, the people wanted to know when you are coming. On May 4th, 2016, Sater followed up. I had a chat with Moscow. Assuming this trip, the trip does happen. The question is before or after the convention. I said, I believe, but don't know for sure that it's probably after the convention. Obviously, the pre-meeting trip, you only can happen anytime you want. But the two big guys were the question. I said I would confirm and revert. Let me know about if I was right by saying I believe after Cleveland and also when you want to speak to them and possibly fly over. Cohen responded, my trip before Cleveland Trump, once he becomes the nominee after the convention, the day after this exchange, Sater tied Cohen's travel to Russia to the St. Petersburg International Economic Forum, an annual event attended by prominent Russian politicians and businessmen. Sater told the office that he was informed by a business associate that Peskov wanted to invite Cohen to the forum. On May 5th, 2016, Seder wrote to Cohen, Peskov would like to invite you as his guest to the St. Petersburg Forum, which is Russia's Davos. It's June 16th through the 19th. He wants to meet there with you and possibly introduce you to either Putin or Medvedev, as they are not sure if one or both will be there. This is perfect. The entire business class of Russia will be there as well. He said anything you want to discuss, including dates and subjects are on the table to discuss. The following day, Sater asked Cohen to confirm these dates. Those dates would work for him to travel. Cohen wrote back, works for me. On June 9th, 2016, Sater sent Cohen a notice that he was completing the badges for the forum, adding Putin is there on the 17th. Very strong chance you will meet him as well. On June 13th, 2016, Sater forwarded Cohen an invitation to the forum signed by the director of the Ross Congress Foundation, the Russian entity organizing the forum. Sater also sent Cohen a Russian visa application and asked him to send two passport photos. According to Cohen, the invitation gave no indication that Peskov had been involved in inviting him. Cohen was concerned that Russian officials were not actually involved or were not interested in meeting with him, as Seder had alleged. And so he decided not to go to the forum. On June 14th, 2016, Cohen met Seder in the lobby of the Trump Tower in New York and informed him that he would not be traveling at that time. Two, candidate Trump's opportunities to travel to Russia. The investigation identified evidence that during the period that the during the period, the Trump Moscow project was under consideration, the possibility of candidate Trump visiting Russia arose in two contexts. First, in interviews with the office, Cohen stated that he discussed the subject of traveling to Russia with Trump twice, once in late 2015 and again in spring 2016. According to Cohen, Trump indicated a willingness to travel if it would assist the project significantly. On one occasion, Trump told Cohen to speak with then-campaign manager Corey Lewandowski to coordinate the candidate's schedule. Cohen recalled that he spoke with Lewandowski, who suggested that they speak again when Cohen had actual dates to evaluate. Cohen indicated, however, that he knew that travel prior to the Republican National Convention would be impossible given the candidate's pre-existing commitments to the campaign. Second, like Cohen... Trump received and turned down an invitation to the St. Petersburg International Economic Forum. In late December 2015, Myra Duma, a contact of Ivanka Trump's from the fashion industry, first passed along invitations for Ivanka Trump and candidate Trump from Sergi Prakodko, Prakodko, a deputy prime minister of the Russian Federation. On January 14, 2016, Rona Graff sent an email to Duma stating that Trump was honored to be asked to participate in the highly prestigious forum event, but that he would have to decline the invitation given his very grueling and full travel schedule as a presidential candidate. Graff asked Duma whether she recommended that Graff send a formal note to the deputy prime minister declining his invitation. Duma replied that a formal note would be great. It does not appear that Graff prepared that note immediately. According to written answers from President Trump, Graf received an email from Deputy Prime Minister Prakotko on March 17, 2016, again inviting Trump to participate in the 2016 forum in St. Petersburg. Two weeks later, on March 31st, 2016, Graff prepared for Trump's signature a two-paragraph letter declining the invitation. The letter stated that Trump's schedule has become extremely demanding because of the presidential campaign, that he already had several commitments in the United States for the time of the forum, but that he otherwise would have gladly given every consideration to attending such an important event. Graff forwarded the letter to another executive since it as a Trump organization, with instructions to print the document on letterhead for Trump to sign At approximately the same time that the letter was being prepared, Robert Forsman, a New York-based investment banker, began reaching out to Graf to secure an in-person meeting with candidate Trump. According to Forsman, he had been asked by Anton Kobyakov, a Russian presidential aide involved with the Rose Congress Foundation, to see if Trump could speak at the forum. Forsman first emailed Graf on March 31st, 2016 following a phone introduction brokered through Trump business associate Mark Burnett, who produced the television show The Apprentice. In his email, Forsman referenced his longstanding personal and professional expertise in Russia and Ukraine, his work setting up an early private channel between Vladimir Putin and former U.S. President George W. Bush, and an approach he had received from senior Kremlin officials about the candidate. Forsman asked Graf for a meeting with the candidate, Corey Lewandowski, or another relevant person to discuss this and other concrete things. Forsman felt uncomfortable discussing over unsecure email. On April 4th, 2016, Graf forwarded Forsman's Forzman meeting, meeting request to Jessica Machia, another executive assistant to Trump. With no response forthcoming, Forsman twice sent reminders to Graf, first on April 26th and again on April 30th, 2016. Graf sent an apology to Forsman and forwarded his April 26th email as well as his initial March 2016 email to Lewandowski. On May 2nd, 2016, Graf forwarded Forsman's April 30th email, which suggested an alternative meeting with Donald Trump Jr. Or Eric Trump, so that Forsman could convey to them information that should be conveyed to the candidate personally, or to someone the candidate absolutely trusts. To policy advisor Stephen Miller, no communications or other evidence obtained by the office indicated that the Trump campaign learned that Forsman was reaching out to invite the candidate to the forum, or that the campaign otherwise followed up with Forsman until after the election. Would he? when he interacted with the transition team as he pursued a possible position in the incoming administration. When interviewed by the office, Forsman denied that the specific approach from senior Kremlin officials noted in his March 31st, 2016 email was anything other than Kowayakov's invitation to gross Congress. According to Forsman, The concrete things he referenced in the same email were a combination of the invitation itself, Forsman's personal perspectives on the invitation, and Russia policy in general, and details of a Ukraine plan supported by a U.S. think tank, East-West Institute. Forsman told the office that Koboyakov had extended similar invitations through him to another Republican presidential candidate and one other politician. Forsman also said that Kaboyakov had asked Forsman to invite Trump to speak after that other presidential candidate withdrew from the race, and the other politicians' participation did not work out. Finally, Forsman claimed to have no plans to establish a back channel involving Trump. Stating the reference to his involvement in the Bush Putin back channel was meant to burnish his credentials to the campaign. Forsman commented that he had not recognized any of the experts announced as Trump's foreign policy team in March 2016 and wanted to secure an in person meeting with the candidate to share his professional background and policy views, including that Trump should decline Koboyakov's invitation to speak at the forum to George Papadopoulos. George Papadopoulos was a foreign policy advisor to the Trump campaign from March, 2016 to early October, 2016. In late April, 2016, Papadopoulos was told by London based professor Joseph Mifsud, Immediately after Mifsud's return from a trip to Moscow, that the Russian government had obtained dirt on candidate Clinton in the form of thousands of emails. One week later, on May 6, 2016, Papadopoulos suggested to a representative of a foreign government that the Trump campaign had received indication that the Russian government. From the Russian government, that it could assist the campaign through the anonymous release of information That would be damaging to candidate Clinton. Papadopoulos shared information about Russia's dirt, Russian dirt with people outside of the campaign and the office investigated. Whether he also provided it to a campaign official, Papadopoulos and the campaign officials with whom he interacted, told the office that they did not recall Papadopoulos passing past that them. Did not recall that Papadopoulos passed them the information. Throughout the relevant period of time and for several months thereafter, Papadopoulos worked with Mifsud and two Russian nationals to arrange a meeting between the campaign and the Russian government. That meeting never came to pass. A. Origins of campaign work. In March 2016, Papadopoulos became a foreign policy advisor to the Trump campaign as early as the summer of 2015. He he had sought a role as a policy advisor to the campaign, but in a September 30th, 2015 email, he was told that the campaign was not hiring policy advisors. In late 2015, Papadopoulos obtained a paid position on the campaign of Republican presidential candidate Ben Carson. Although Carson remained in the presidential race until early March 2016, Papadopoulos had stopped actively working for his campaign by early February 2016. At that time, Papadopoulos reached out to a contact at the London Center of International Law Practice, LCILP, which billed itself as a unique institution comprising high-level professional international law practitioners dedicated to the advancement of global legal knowledge and the practice of international law. Papadopoulos said that he had finished his role with the Carson with the Carson campaign and asked if LCILP was hiring. In early February, Papadopoulos agreed to join LCILP and arrived in London to begin work. As he was taking his position at LCILP, Papadopoulos contacted Trump campaign manager Corey Lewandowski via LinkedIn and emailed campaign official Michael Glasner about his where, about his interest in joining the Trump campaign. On March 2nd, 2016, Papadopoulos sent Glasner another message reiterating his interest. Glasner passed along word of Papadopoulos' interest to another campaign official, Joy Lutz, who notified Papadopoulos by email that she had been told by Glasner to introduce Papadopoulos to Sam, to Sam Clovis, the Trump campaign's national co-chair and chief policy advisor. At the time of Papadopoulos' March 2nd email, the media was criticizing the Trump campaign for lack of experience foreign policy or national security advisors within its ranks. To address that issue, senior campaign officials asked Clovis to put a foreign policy team together on short notice. After receiving Papadopoulos' name from Lutz, Clovis performed a Google search on Papadopoulos, learned that he worked at the Hudson Institute, and believed that he had credibility on energy issues. On March 3rd, 2016, Clovis arranged to speak with Papadopoulos by phone to discuss Papadopoulos joining the campaign as a foreign policy advisor. And on March 6th, 2016, the two spoke. Papadopoulos recalled that Russia was mentioned as a topic and he understood from the conversation that Russia would be an important aspect of the campaign's foreign policy. At the end of the conversation... Clovis offered Papadopoulos a role as a foreign policy advisor to the campaign, and Papadopoulos accepted the offer. B, initial Russia-related contacts. Approximately a week after signing on as a foreign policy advisor, Papadopoulos traveled to Rome, Italy, as part of his duties with LCILP. The purpose of this trip was to meet officials affiliated with Link Campus University a for-profit institution headed by a former Italian government official. During the visit, Papadopoulos was interested in introduced to Joseph Mifsud. Yash, 10 minutes. Mifsud is a maltese national who worked as a professor, professor. Let me start over. Mifsud is a Maltese national who worked as a professor at the London Academy of Diplomacy in London, England. Although Mifsud worked out of London and was also affiliated with LCILP, the encounter in Rome was the first time that Papadopoulos met him. Mifsud maintained various Russian contacts while living in London, as described further below. Among his contacts was... This is redacted for investigative technique, a one time employee of the IRA, the entity that carried out the Russian social media campaign in January and February 2016, said and investigative technique redaction discussed another investigative technique redaction, possibly meeting in Russia. The investigation did not identify evidence of them meeting. Later in the spring of 2016, redacted for investigative technique. Was also in contact with Redaction for Investigative Technique that was linked to an employee of the Russian Ministry of Defense, and that account had overlapping contacts with the group of Russian military-controlled Facebook accounts that included accounts used to promote the DC leaks releases in the course of the GRU's hack and release operations. According to Papadopoulos, Mifsud at first seemed uninterested in Papadopoulos when they met in Rome. After Papadopoulos informed Mifsud about his role in the Trump campaign, however, Mifsud appeared to take greater interest in Papadopoulos. The two discussed Mifsud's European and Russian contacts and had a general discussion about Russia. Mifsud also offered to introduce Papadopoulos to European leaders and others with contacts to the Russian government. Papadopoulos told the office that Mifsud's claim... Of substantial connections with Russian government officials interested Papadopoulos who thought that such connections could increase his importance as a policy advisor to the Trump campaign. On March 17, 2016, Papadopoulos returned to London. Four days later, candidate Trump publicly named him as a member of the foreign policy and national security advisory campaign. Sorry, let me do that over again because I got distracted a good time. Okay, four days later, candidate Trump publicly named him as a member of the Foreign Policy and National Security Advisory Team, chaired by Senator Jeff Sessions, describing Papadopoulos as an oil and energy consultant and an excellent guy. On March 24, 2016, Papadopoulos met with Mifsud in London. Mifsud was accompanied by a Russian female named Olga Polinskaya, what happened? <laughs> Say what happened in the
1: moment. I'll redo this next thing.
0: Okay. Um, Mifsud was accompanied by a Russian female named Olga Polenskaya. Mifsud introduced Polinskaya as a former student of his who had connections to Vladimir Putin. Papadopoulos understood at the time that Polenskaya may have been Putin's niece, but later learned that this was not true. During the meeting, Polenskaya offered to help Papadopoulos establish contacts in Russia and stated that the Russian ambassador in London was a friend of hers. Based on this interaction, Papadopoulos expected Mifsud and Polenskaya to introduce him to the Russian ambassador in London, but that did not occur. Following his meeting with Mifsud, Papadopoulos sent an email to members of the Trump campaign's foreign policy advisory team. The subject line of the message was meeting with Russian leadership, including Putin. The message stated in pertinent part, I just finished a very productive lunch with a good friend of mine, Joseph Mifsud, the director of the London Academy of Diplomacy, who introduced me to both Putin's niece and the Russian ambassador in London, who also acts as the deputy foreign minister. The topic of that lunch, the topic of the lunch was to arrange a meeting between us and the Russian leadership to discuss U.S.-Russia ties under President Trump. They are keen to host us in a neutral city or directly in Moscow. They said the leadership, including Putin, is ready to meet with us and Mr. Trump should 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 there be interest. Waiting for everyone's thoughts on moving forward with this very important issue. Uh, one important footnote here is Papadopoulos' statements, footnote 428, Papadopoulos' statements to the campaign were false. As noted above, the woman he met was not Putin's niece, he had not met the Russian ambassador in London, and the ambassador did not also serve as Russia's deputy foreign minister. Papadopoulos' message came at a time when Clovis perceived a shift in the campaign's approach toward Russia from one of engaging with Russia through the NATO framework and taking a strong stance on Russia aggression in Ukraine. The next rest of the sentence is redacted for grand jury. Clovis's response to Papadopoulos, however, did not reflect that shift. Replying to Papadopoulos and the other members of the foreign policy advisory team copied on the initial email. Clovis wrote, this is most informative. Let me work it through the campaign. No commitments until we see how this plays out. My thoughts is that we probably should not go forward with any meetings with the Russians until we've had occasion to sit with our NATO allies, especially France, Germany and Great Britain. We need to reassure our allies that we are not going to advance anything with Russia until we have everyone on the same page. More thoughts later today. Great work. March, 30, C, March 31 foreign policy team meeting. The campaign held a meeting of the foreign policy advisory team with Senator Sessions and candidate Trump approximately one week later on March 31st, 2016 in Washington, D.C. The meeting, which was intended to generate press coverage for the campaign, took place at the Trump International Hotel. Papadopoulos flew to Washington for the event. At the meeting, Senator Sessions sat... At one end of an oval table while Trump sat at the other, as reflected in the photograph below, which was posted to Trump's Instagram account, Papadopoulos sat between the two, two seats to Sessions left. During the meeting, each of the newly announced foreign policy advisors introduced themselves and briefly described their areas of expertise or of experience or expertise. Papadopoulos spoke about his previous work in the energy sector and then brought up a potential meeting with Russian officials. Specifically, Papadopoulos told the group that he had learned through his contacts in London that Putin wanted to meet with candidate Trump and that these connections could help arrange that meeting. Trump and Sessions both reacted to Papadopoulos' statement. Papadopoulos and campaign advisor J.D. Gordon, who told investigators in an interview that he had a crystal clear recollection of the meeting, has stated that Trump was interested in and receptive to the idea of meeting with Putin. Papadopoulos understood Sessions to be similarly supportive of his efforts to arrange a meeting. Gordon and two other attendees, however, recall that Sessions generally opposed the proposal, though they differ in their accounts of the concerns he voiced or the strength of the opposition he expressed. D, George Papadopoulos learns that Russia has dirt in the form of Clinton emails. Whatever Sessions' precise words at the March 31 meeting, Papadopoulos did not understand Sessions or anyone else in the Trump campaign to have directed that he refrain from move, making further efforts to arrange a meeting between the campaign and the Russian government. To the contrary, Papadopoulos told the office that he understood the campaign to be supportive of his efforts to arrange such a meeting. Accordingly, when he returned to London, Papadopoulos resumed those efforts. Throughout April 2016, Papadopoulos continued to correspond with, meet with, and seek Russia contacts through Mifsud and at times Polenskaya. For example, within a week of her initial March twenty-four meetings with meeting with him, Polenskaya attempted to send Papadopoulos a text message, which email exchanges show to have been drafted or edited by Mifsud, address, addressing Papadopoulos's wish to engage with the Russian Federation. When Papadopoulos learned from Mifsud that Polenskaya had tried to message him, he sent her an email seeking another meeting. Polenskaya responded the next day that she was back in St. Petersburg, but would be very pleased to support. Papadopoulos' initiative between our two countries and to meet him again. Papadopoulos stated in reply that he thought a good step would be to introduce him to the Russian ambassador in London and that he would like to talk to the ambassador or anyone else you recommend about a potential foreign policy trip to Russia. Miff said who had been copied on the email exchanges replied on the morning of April 11th, 2016. He wrote, this has already been agreed. I am flying to Moscow on the 18th for a Valde meeting, plus other meetings at the Duma. We will talk tomorrow. The two bodies referenced by Mifsud are part of or associated with the Russian government. The Duma is a Russian legislative assembly, while, the, while Valde refers to the Valde discussion club, a Moscow-based group that is close to Russia's foreign policy establishment. Papadopoulos thanked Mifsud and said that he would see him tomorrow. For her part, Phone Sky responded that she had already alerted my personal links to our conversation and your request. That we are all very excited, the possibility of a good relationship with Mr. Trump, and that the Russian Federation would love to welcome him once his candidature would be officially announced. Papadopoulos' and Miss Fudd's mentions of seeing each other tomorrow referenced a meeting that the two had scheduled for the next morning, April 12, 2016, at the Andes Hotel in London. Papadopoulos acknowledged the meeting during interviews with the office, and records from Papadopoulos' UK cell phone and his internet search history all indicate that the meeting took place. Following the meeting, Mifsudd traveled as planned to Moscow. On April 18, 2016, while in Russia, Mifsud introduced Papadopoulos over email to Ivan Timofeev, a member of the Russian International Affairs Council, RIAC. Mifsud had described Timofeev as having connections with the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the executive entity in Russia responsible for Russian foreign relations. Over the next several weeks, Papadopoulos and Timofeev, had multiple conversations over Skype and email about setting the groundwork for a potential meeting between the campaign and Russian government officials Papadopoulos told the office that on one Skype call he believed that his conversation with Timofeev was being monitored or supervised by an unknown third party because Timofeev spoke in an official manner and Papadopoulos heard odd noises on the line Timofeev also told Papadopoulos in an April 25th, 2016 email that he had just spoken to Igor Ivanov, the president of RIAC and former foreign minister of Russia, and conveyed Ivanov's advice about how best to arrange a Moscow visit. After a stop in Rome, Mifsud returned to England on April 25th, 2016. The next day, Papadopoulos met Mifsud for breakfast at the Andes Hotel the same location as their last meeting. What is this? During that meeting, Mifsud told Papadopoulos that he had met with high-level Russian government officials during his recent trip to Moscow. Mifsud also said that on the trip, he learned that the Russians had obtained dirt on candidate Hillary Clinton. As Papadopoulos later stated to the FBI, Mifsud said that the dirt was in the form of emails of Clinton and that they have thousands of emails on May 6, 10 days after that meeting with Mifsud, Papadopoulos suggested to a representative of a foreign government that the Trump campaign had received indications from the Russian government that it could assist the campaign through the anonymous release of information that would be damaging to Hillary Clinton. Russia related communications with the campaign. While he was discussing with his foreign contacts a potential meeting of campaign officials with Russian government officials, Papadopoulos kept campaign officials apprised of his efforts. Hmm. On April 25th, 2016, the day before MIFSA told Papadopoulos about the emails, Papadopoulos wrote to senior policy advisor Stephen Miller that the Russian government has an open invitation by Putin for Mr. Trump to meet him when he's ready. And that the advantage of being in London is that these governments tend to speak a bit more openly in neutral cities. On April 27th, 2016, after his meeting with Mifsud, Papadopoulos wrote a second message to Miller stating that some interesting messages were coming in from Moscow about a trip when the time is right. The same day, Papadopoulos sent a similar email to campaign manager Corey Lewandowski telling Lewandowski that Papadopoulos had been receiving a lot of calls over the last month about Putin wanting to host Trump and the team when the time is right. Papadopoulos's Russia-related communications with campaign officials continued throughout the spring and summer of 2016. On May 4, 2016, he forwarded to Lewandowski an email from Timofeev raising the possibility of a meeting in Moscow, asking Lewandowski whether that was something we want to move forward with. The next day Papadopoulos forwarded the same Timofeev email to Sam Clovis. Adding to the top of the email Russia update, he included the same email in a May 21st, 2016 message to senior campaign official Paul Manafort under the subject line request from Russia to meet Mr. Trump, stating that Russia had been eager to meet Mr. Trump for quite some time and has been and have been reaching out to me to discuss. Manafort forwarded the message to another campaign official without including Papadopoulos and stated Let's discuss. We need someone to communicate that Trump is not doing these trips. It should be someone low level in the campaign so as not to send any signal. On June 1st, 2016, Papadopoulos replied to an earlier email chain with Lewandowski about a Russia visit, asking if Lewandowski, Lewandowski wanted to have a call about this topic and whether we were following up with it. After Lewandowski told Papadopoulos to connect with Clovis because he was running point, Papadopoulos emailed Clovis that the Russian MFA was asking him if Mr. Trump is interested in visiting Russia at some point. Papadopoulos wrote in an email that he wanted to pass this info along to you for you to decide what's best to do with it and what message I should send or to ignore After several email and Skype exchanges with Timofeev, Papadopoulos sent one more email to Lewandowski on June 19, 2016, Lewandowski's last day as campaign manager. The email stated that the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs had contacted him and asked whether if Mr. Trump could not travel to Russia, a campaign representative such as Papadopoulos could attend meetings. Papadopoulos told Lewandowski that he was willing to make the trip off the record if it's in the interest of Mr. Trump and the campaign to meet specific people. Following Lewandowski's departure from the campaign, Papadopoulos communicated with Clovis and Walid Fars. Fars Another member of the foreign policy advisory team about an off the record meeting between the campaign and Russian government officials, or with Papadopoulos' other Russia connections, Mifsud and Timofee. Papadopoulos also interacted directly with Clovis and Fars in connection with the summit of the transatlantic. Parliamentary Group on Counterterrorism, a group for which Fars was co-secretary general. On July 16th, 2016, Papadopoulos attended the TAG summit in Washington, D.C., where he sat next to Clovis. Although Clovis came, claimed to have no recollection of attending the TAG summit, Papadopoulos remembered discussing Russia and a foreign policy trip with Clovis and Fars during the event. Papadopoulos's recollection is consistent with emails sent before and after the TAG summit. The pre-summit messages included a July 11, 2016 email in which Faris suggested meeting Papadopoulos today after the summit to chat and a July 12th message in and a July 12th message in the same chain in which Faris advised Papadopoulos that other summit attendees are very nervous about Russia. So be aware. Ten days after the summit, Papadopoulos sent an email to MIF said listing fires and Clovis' other participants in a potential meeting at the London Academy of Diplomacy. Finally, Papadopoulos' recollection is also consistent with handwritten notes from a journal that he kept at the time. Those notes, which are reprinted in part below, appear to refer to potential September 2016 meetings in London with representatives of the office of Putin and suggest that Farris, Clovis, and Papadopoulos, Walid Sammy, would attend without the official backing of the campaign. No official letter, no message from Trump. Later communications indicate that Clovis determined that he, Clovis, could not travel. On August 15th, 2016, Papadopoulos emailed Clovis that he had received requests from multiple foreign governments even Russia, for closed-door workshops, consultations abroad, and asked whether there was still interest for Clovis, Fares, and Papadopoulos to go on that trip. Clovis copied Fares on his response, which said that he could not travel before the election, but that he... Would encourage Papadopoulos and Wally to make the trips if it is feasible. Papadopoulos was dismissed from the Trump campaign in early October 2016 after an interview he gave to the Russian news agency Interfax generated adverse publicity. all well, my children are the light, born and the sinning, but steady striving to do right. My people are warriors. All we know is to the fight. Friends, they see God in everything I write. Here, here, here.